Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Well, the title of this morning's message as we finish up the book of Psalms, not all the Psalms that we preach on, for we would be here for a, quite a long time, but I want you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 8 as we tackle that particular psalm. But just before we do, I want to draw your attention to the subject of the glory of God. And I, I would love to do so many wonderful things to try to talk about the glory of God. But I know many people have tried to describe the glory of God. And I think of Isaiah as one of them. Ezekiel tried to do it. Daniel tried to do it. John in Revelation tried to do it. Also, Isaiah tried to do it. And David is going to try to do it. As we think about the subject, the glory of God, Isaiah, in the year King Uzziah died in Isaiah chapter 6, here's what he saw. He said, I saw the Lord high and exalted on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And two they were flying. And then we pick up for your Eyes, he said in Isaiah 6, 3, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. Now, I cannot do justice to the glory of God who is here, and I'm speaking on his behalf. That is very awkward to do that when God is listening. But Isaiah said it for me better than I could. And then I think about another character in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar, who was humbled by this glory as he walked around in his palace one day after Daniel had prophesied to him, you better humble yourself or God will do it for you. Do it now or he will do it later. And so he's walking around his palace and look at all the things that I have built with my own hands. Look at the glory I have. And, and Daniel told him, you better not do it. And so I pick up in Daniel chapter 4 and here's how the scripture states what took place. So after Daniel prophesied to him, you better shape up. Here's what happened. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? After he said this, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from people, and he ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws 
of a bird. God receives the glory. And he said, I will never share my glory with another person. Remember, Herod tried to receive that glory from man when they gathered together. <clears throat> and they said, wow, he, he, it's the voice of a God. And he just kind of basked in it. And he did not give God the glory. And the Bible said immediately the worms began to eat him and he fell dead. I know I need to be very careful. You need to be very careful in your life what God is doing and what he has done to make sure you give him the credit and the honor that's due his name. I think how man tries to emulate God's glory with all his wealth and, and all that he has. I think about Elon Musk and Twitter. I think of Tim Cook and of Apple. I think of Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. But nothing compares to the glory and wealth of the Rothschilds. When I was trying to think of the glory of someone on earth, and I try to think of his glory, I think of all the glory the Rothschilds family has. Some have said they have money in the trillions, but when I looked up the record, they said they are worth over $500 billion. And I think they have a picture of his estate, or at least a couple of the things that um, he has, the Rothschild family has over 1,800 real estate properties spread across England, France, Germany, and other European countries. The combined value of these properties is over $36 billion. The Rothschild family's wealth includes over 55 luxurious yachts, 10 private jets, 13 luxury hotels, the Rothschild family owns enormous cash reserves of over $70 billion kept safely within the banks, oh, by the way, that they own. The Rothschild family owns stocks of every major company in the world. The Rothschild family has over $100 billion fund to invest in stock markets of major nations like New York Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, and also the Tokyo Stock Exchange. The Rothschild family has a reserve of over $20 billion and $6 billion in Japanese yen and $33 billion in euros. By the way, they still own $14 billion worth of bitcoins. That's still on the market, by the way. But when you think about all the glory that he has or they have, it will fade and everything will corrupt. That's why God said, invest in the kingdom of God where the thief will not steal and the moth will not corrupt because one day everything we have will be burnt up and the glory will fade, but not so with God's glory. So I want to look at for a moment the glory of God defined in Psalms chapter 8, and then the glory of God declared by babes, by creation, and by man. Let's look at the glory of God defined beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now, there's so many things, there's at least four little things in verse 1. First of all, I want you to see the master defined in this verse. You see, in most of your Bibles, it says two words, right? The Lord, O Lord, 
my Lord. Now, the reason why it's good to at least have a working knowledge of the Hebrew and the Greek, not so that we preachers can kind of impress you, but remember the first word, Lord, is in all capitals. So when you read in your Bibles, you look in your Bibles, the first word should be in all capitals. Whenever you read that in the Old Testament or New Testament, that tells you something. Ding! That's Yahweh. That's Yahweh. And then the next word is not totally in caps. It begins with a capital letter L. It will always tell you that it probably means Adonai. I love that word, don't you? Adonai. Yahweh, my Yahweh, my Adonai. Adonai means Lord, Master. So David declares, Yahweh is my Master. He is my Savior. It implies a lot because Acts 4.12 reminds us, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. So remember, he's not your master if you cannot call him Adonai. He is not your savior. Let me explain it this way. Remember the 12 apostles. Jesus rose from the dead. He enters into the upper room, and there they all are except who? One. What was his name? We know him by two names, Doubting Thomas. That's not his name. Isn't it funny how he got tagged, Doubting Thomas? His name was Thomas, but then now he's called Doubting Thomas. He was not in that room. Now, he had walked with Jesus for three years. He had been empowered by Jesus to go out into the villages and do miracles in his name. And then he hears, gets word that Jesus was alive. And here's what he said in John 25 after the apostles told him. We we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Therefore, he could not say Adonai, excuse me, Yahweh, or my Lord is Adonai. He could not say that. Even though he had the intellectual knowledge, you could be here this morning and you can know Yahweh is Adonai, but he is not your master. I remember hearing about God growing up in the church, but he never became my master when I was a child or when you were a child, unless you professed him to be your savior. But then God had mercy on him. He shows up again in the upper room. This time, Doubting Thomas is there. And then Jesus addresses him. Thomas sees him. He came, the doors were locked. He came through the walls. And he says, my Lord, my Adonai. He now confessed him as master. Until you confess him as master, he will not be your savior. Here's what Jesus said to him. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, that's us, who have not seen yet believe. What excuse may be keeping you looking in online this morning or here that's keeping you from confessing him as your savior? You can know him as God, as Jehovah, but do you know him as Adonai, your master, 
David said, Yahweh is my Adonai. Also, there's something special in this passage. Notice in Psalm 8, 1b, the Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So his name is defined and declared as master, but also as majestic. Now, I'm trying to think of, you know, what comes to your mind when you think about majestic? I think about, okay, all these, uh, the Olympics, uh, how they put on a big show. Uh, what about a, a king and queen getting married and all the pomp and ceremony surrounding that, how majestic it is and all their attire and all the people that attend and all the stuff that they wear and the hair and on their body. I think about that kind of majesty. And, th and then I think about the Grand Canyon and Mount Everest, just a little depiction here in this video just to kind of help you get a glimpse of the majesty of uh, the, the mountains and, and the Grand Canyon. It's breathtaking when you stand there. How many people have been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your, there you go. How many have been climb Mount Everest? <laughs> it's kind of breathtaking though. How majestic is his name in all the earth. That happened over millions and millions of years, by the way. Ah, isn't that breathtaking? How majestic is your name? So it, it, at least you're beginning to, it, it conjure up in your mind. How majestic is your name in all the earth? His glory is more majestic than all we can see or all that we can conjure up in our minds but, it, but his glory is defined in his name. Notice in verse 1 and 2, he says, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His name. I like that name, that, that song that kind of goes, there's no one like Jehovah. There's no one. How many know that song? There's no one like Jehovah. It's a beautiful, beautiful song that tells us there's something special about that name. You see, no other name causes people to stutter in their steps, stammer with their lips, and gives the lost fits. Great boxers command respect. Great armies get your attention. God speaks. And why do the lost get upset? Jehovah's name is not yet accepted in all the earth or acknowledged in all the earth, but will be very soon. You see, almost 2 billion people on the face of the earth are Muslims. They place Allah on the throne of their hearts. Over half a billion Buddhists bow down to the graven image of Buddha. Half a billion Hindus grovel at the feet of countless idols. Over 500 million atheists deny that there is any God. Over 200,000 of them are in China that we're doing business with. But to those who have come to know him, he is the name above all names, the saving sovereign name. O Lord, our Lord, our Adonai, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Yes, even today, when God's glory is hidden, his name is excellent in all the earth. You see, over 2.5 billion people today own 
that name. Now, whether or not he is there, Adonai may be a different story. But 2.5 billion people on earth know that name and claim that name. His name is above every name. And I think about some of the names that we're so familiar with. Look, look at the name of Shakespeare, how long it has lived on. You remember the Beatles, they said their name was going to live long after Jesus was forgotten. Remember that? John Lennon, he didn't last too long. What about Beethoven? He wrote notes on a musical scale, and his name fills the earth, but he's gone. What about Alexander the Great conquering nation before the age of 33? His name is remembered, but he's gone. Even Abraham, the father of our faith, fills the earth. What about Disney and all that they peddle is filling the earth? Hopefully soon to disappear because of all that they're advocating. But God's name and glory is above all that we know and see. Let's look at it again. His glory is defined in the word Master Adonai. His glory is majestic. His name more memorable than any other name. And his glory is magnificent. Notice in the latter part of verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory, it says in the NIV, in the, in the heavens. But in almost all the other translations, it reads, you have set your glory above the heavens. And so you see his glory in man. You can see his glory when I look at the face of human beings, and I know most of us used how we used to conduct ourselves, and now all of a sudden you're speaking about him, you're talking about him, you're giving to him, you're praying to him. You know, the glory of man is, is found sort of like a, an actress or actor. Their glory is found in perhaps their films. An athlete's glory is found in their trophies. And a wealthy man's glory is found in his spread, what he owns. But God's glory is in the earth as well as above the earth. We see his glory in the heavens. Remember Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glories of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display their knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It goes out to the ends of the earth. Their voice goes to the ends of the world. You see, you see his his, his glory in what he's created, his creatures like the rhinoceros. Look at, and then you think about the horse and all the other creatures that he describes in Job and other places. You can see his glory as, as described by Moses when he saw his train go past him. That's talking about his, his glory. God said, no man can see my face and live. So he showed Moses the back part of his glory. And then the apostles saw Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then over 500 people saw the glory of God when Jesus rose from the dead. Yet all the pomp and majesty of a king or queen that we are familiar with 
cannot even begin to describe the glory of God. Well, I know it's sort of a little cluttery, but let's look at the glory in the heavens. And of course, we could give you many, many videos and pictures, but just look at God's glory on the earth and in the galaxies and in the heavens. I mean, it, it looks like a, a lot of clutter to you and me, but if you kind of zoom in, that's galaxies and trillions of stars and the galaxies are still growing and it, it just looks like a, a, a bunch of dots on a, a blackboard, but it's, it's the glory of God. And he, he spoke this into existence, so his glory does fill the earth. But the scripture says his glory is above the earth. And in Revelation, John does his best to describe his glory, just as I'm attempting to do right now. But his word says it best. Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But you have set your glory above all that we see, above all that we know, above all that we're in awe about, your glory is above all that we know, declares David. Well, let's look at the glory of God declared by babes and by man and by creation. Let's look in verse 2 of chapter 8 of the book of Psalm. From the lips of children and infants... You have ordained praise. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Let me make it even a little bit plainer. God said that, I mean, that speaks to us, but to help you just a little bit more. He said, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, sing of you, Toddlers sing choruses and songs about you that drown out your enemy's talk. So God's power is on display through an unusual source of power, strength of a baby. It was a little baby that humbled the mighty Pharaoh when God gave the secret enemy inside the camp. There was Moses raised in Pharaoh's palace only to come back and conquer and humble the mighty Pharaoh. It was a baby by God that came to this planet, God in the flesh, that defeated the mightiest enemy man has ever known, and that is Satan. And God defeated the enemy, beginning with a newborn babe. God said, in order for us to have salvation, we must come to him like a little child. Children humbled the greatest intellects of Jesus' day when Jesus said, I came to my own and they didn't even recognize me. But how come little babies recognized who I was? Remember when Jesus came into the temple for the last time on Palm Sunday and he came in there. And it wasn't the religious elite who knew the scriptures so well and could wax eloquent on all the truths and promises. But when God came to earth, they couldn't recognize him at all. But little children recognized him. Notice in Matthew 21, 
But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They saw him when the religious elite, the, the professors of our Ivy League institutions cannot see when all these scientists cannot declare it is through the mouths of babes that declare that he is Lord. It goes on to say when, when the religious leaders kind of were upset about this. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. He is quoting Psalm 8. Babies or young children do declare God's glory. That's why our children's ministry is very, very important. Listen, if you're raising your kids in a Christian home, you're just piggybacking on what we're already doing. But many children come, many youth come to this place, and they have not been raised in the church. And all they're ever going to get is what you feed them in those rooms back there. Your ministry is very vital. And they'll remember that the rest of their lives because psychiatrists tell us those first four, five, six years set the direction of the rest of their lives, what you feed them today. So in this particular passage, God says, listen, remember, he said, if you're not going to give me the glory and, and, and if you religious leaders are not going to declare my glory, yes, it will come from babes. But even if the babies didn't, the rocks will cry out glory to God in the highest. I want to be better than a rock and declare his glory. His creation, of course, declares this glory. Notice verse three. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? But let's just look at what he has created. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, his, his glory is on full display. I know my wife and I walked around with our grandkids last night and walked around the neighborhood. Then she had us all try to lay down on the patio by the pool and look up into the heavens. It was another great time to declare to our grandchildren the glory of God seen in the heavens. And I saw a plane go by. And I see, see that comet going by? I had to be corrected right quick. There wasn't a comet. They said it was a plane. You see, David was a shepherd boy, and he'd watched the stars wink awake night after night. He knew some of their names, Orion, perhaps, and Pleiades. He knew the moon and the nearest planets, which changed their positions from month to month and from year to year. He knew from his Bible that God had created them, counted them, and called them by their names, he knew enough to be awed at the might, the majesty, and the mystery of God as creator of the worlds of space. David's awe should be totally eclipsed by ours. When Gallio 
first turned a telescope into the sky and announced to the astonishing world that the earth was not the center of the universe. It outraged the Pope and ordered him to recant. But it was no use. The secret was out. There was more to outer space than man had ever dreamed. There were empires out there, empires in bewildering number of staggering dimensions, traveling at inconceivable speeds, reaching further and even further into unimaginable depths. It is all a tribute to the Lord's power, the work of his fingers. Romans 1.20 reminds us, for since creation, the world God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. His glory is declared by babes. His glory is declared by creation. And one final one this morning. His glory should be and is declared by man. Notice in verses 4 through 8. His glory is seen in his care, in his crowning, and his giving charge to mankind. Notice his care for man in verse 4. What is juxtaposed against what we just talked about and described and saw, David is saying, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In some translations, the care is in, it says, what is man that you visited him? We know this is a passage that was quoted in Hebrews um, that Jesus actually fulfilled because he did, God visited us. But David is saying, who are we that you even care about us in, in this this humongous universe and galaxies that you created. Wow. God cares for you. He says he cares for you more than the lilies of the fields and the birds of the air. He cares for you. For you not to believe that is to doubt God's word, that he cares for you right now, right now in your predicament that you're in, in the trouble that you're in or in the plenty that you have. He cares for you. God cares for you that he visited us. He also has crowned mankind. Notice in verse 5. You have made them, mankind, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Again, this passage is prophetic and it's quoted in the New Testament. But I want to draw your attention to something. He said in this verse that we are a little lower than the angels, a little lower than the angels is God's estimate of the human race. We are not a little higher than beasts. We are a little lower than angels. Let me repeat that. We are not just a little higher than the animals or the beasts. We are a little lower than the angels. You see, Charles Darwin described man as the most efficient animal ever to emerge on earth. What a degrading view of man. Man is not just an efficient animal. He was made by an act of God and made in the image and likeness of God. 
when the Son of God stepped off the throne of the universe to enter in the human race, he did not become an efficient animal. He became a God-man. In 1 Corinthians, he reminds us that there is an order to everything. And one day, as God has given him the authority of everything, he's going to give back that authority. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15, for he has put everything under his feet, this God-man. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under the Messiah Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in an all. There is a pecking order the way God does things, in spite of what America thinks. God has an order and a responsibility for everyone under the sun. But one day, Christ himself, under the authority of Jesus Christ, will submit everything back to God, and the three will be as they already are, one. Man's, or man declares God's glory and how he cares for us, crowns us, and puts everything to our charge. The last thing I'd like to say is this. He's giving you and me charge. I don't know whether we realize that or not, but in verse 6 through 8, he said, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea that swim the paths of the seas. We were totally in charge. We lost charge. Jesus took charge. He became in charge again, and we will soon be in charge again with him and over the angels. Remember, he made us a little lower than the angels. But when we are resurrected with Christ, the scripture clearly teaches us that we will rule over the angels. So tell your angel, please be kind to me, because one day I'm going to be in charge. No, they love God and love what he's doing in your life, in my life. So the conclusion of the matter is this. God's glory is defined in what he's done with his hands and in his name. I want to ask you this morning, is he your master? Is he your Adonai. Do you worship the creation or the creature? What do you trust to save you? Your glory, your goodness, man's explanation how we got here, or God's declaration? He said, I love you with an everlasting love. God's glory will not be shared with any human being. And so, therefore, there is no other way to get right with God except through His Son, Jesus, Adonai. Adonai is my master. Is He yours? Would you stand with me at this time? And perhaps you're looking in a line, you're here today. I know most of you are believers in, in the olden days. 
How many remember the olden days when the pastors would get up here, do a long, drawn-out invitation to try to get someone from the pew that might be lost up here up front? And we used to sing like three, four, five different songs for 15 minutes. Listen, if God hasn't spoken to you now, I can't hope to get you down this aisle and ask you to receive Christ as your Savior. You see, the church is for believers. But someone could be looking at online. Someone could have snuck in and become a part of this assembly. And you've heard the word for the first time. We'd love to tell you what Jesus said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you will pass from death unto life right now. So if you're here today, you can make that decision to believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. And he's coming back soon to take us home to be with him. If you've been robbing God of his glory, please, please today, tell him you're sorry for that. Everything you have and I have, he said, all the silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. Will you give him the glory and honor Do his name? Would you give him praise offering right now and a nice victory life clap this morning and thank him for being in our midst. Thank him for his word. Thank him for working through us. May God bless you as you have an awesome week. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.